And thank you for tuning in to our sermon podcast from Connect Church. We'd like to invite you to join us in person at 1101 West Grand in Ponca City, Oklahoma, or on Facebook Live. Go to connectchurchpc.com to learn more about how we are helping people connect every day. We are a people, connected people, all in God's love. Church, there's a couple of things that we're, we're looking for in the new year just to, to help build not just the church, but the future church, and to be a church that always is alive, always is passionate, always is seeing great things take place. And I've had a couple of people in my life in the last year and a half really spoken into me. Uh, Dr. Brent Tisinger, and he is a pastor in North Carolina, and I love to listen to him preach for no other reason than this. He's got this really cool southern draw. And I'm like, man, Brent, if I could speak like you, I just think that people would come. I mean, he sounds like Billy Graham. And so I'm like, man, Brent, I bet every, every Sunday when you get up there and preach, people just come to the altars because they, they're like, wow, Billy Graham's preaching to us this morning. The other one is, is Dr. Jim Garlow. Uh, it was just spoken in my life and, and had just called me on the phone. It was so amazing. A couple years ago, he, uh, he sent me an email. and said, hey, can I have your cell phone number? And so I give it to him, and then he calls, and Jack comes in, and, and I'm talking to him on the phone, and Jack goes, who are you talking to, Dad? I'm like, I'm talking to the Dr. Jim Garlow. And so when, when uh, Jim Garlow was in, in Bartlesville this last fall, and we went over there to, to introduce my, my son Jack to him, and, and Emma to him, and Asher to him, Jack walks up to me and goes, I just want you to know, we referred you in our house as the Dr. Jim Garlow. And so... Uh, and uh, you'll be hearing about an upcoming marriage event that we're going to have. But in leading up to that, the second Sunday, Super Bowl Sunday, I'm going to be preaching on a, a sermon that I got from Dr. Jim Garlow about biblical marriage and bringing in a lot of the, the history of what the Bible is and, and wh- why it's important and why we talk about it. But that's coming up on Super Bowl Sunday. But this month, we are talking about Hollywood heroes. There's a book that I read and... and uh, I was led on to this guy by Dr. Brent Tisinger, and Brent said, hey, you got to start reading this guy, and his name is Frank Turk. If you want good reads, you want to dig deep in your faith, Frank Turk is a guy to go to. He, his most famous book is, I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. He's an apologist, which means he's, he's able to define why it is that I believe in God. And so I was listening to him this last summer. He was on one of the podcasts that I listened to, and he was talking about this new book that him and his son wrote. I'm like, man, I, I want to get that book. And so a, as I uh, do different things, as I run, as I do all that stuff, I listen to audio books, and I'm just enthralled by this. I'm like, man, this has got to be a message series that we're going to talk about. And so that's where I come from. If you want to get the book, it's called Hollywood Heroes by Frank and Zach Turek. It is a great read, and, and, and uh, you, you'll love it. You'll enjoy it. I, I got it for, uh, for Kenneth and April because they'll be helping along preach through this. Uh, this Sunday, we're going to talk about Batman, 
And I grew up watching the old reruns of the 1960s version of Batman, and I just wanted to give you a taste of what that was like. If you, if you, if you were not alive during the 60s, which I was not, by the way, or maybe if your parents weren't even alive during the 60s, I, I want to give you a taste of what the 60s sitcom was like. Go ahead and watch this with us real quick. about watching it. I watched the reruns, and then at the end of each half-hour episode, you know what it would say? Same bat time, same bat station. And I'm like, yes, I will be here. And of course, since I was watching it on Nickelodeon, and it was re reruns, instead of having to wait the next week to watch the next half-hour segment, I just had to wait there for the TV for the next one to start. You know, we, we started a new year, we, we break into this and so this week, Kenneth asked me, he said, hey, what are you doing? The office is closed this week, and, and, and what are your goals? I said, man, I got a lot of homework to do to get ready for Sunday. And he goes, what's your homework? And I said, I'm watching the Dark Knight trilogy. It's the <laughs> Christian Bale, Batman version. And so all of my, my clips I pulled were basically from Batman Begins, but I did pull one from the third one. And uh, this week I'll be releasing a, a YouTube, a short YouTube message on Wednesday that I'll be talking about how I identify with Catwoman. No, I do not identify as Catwoman, but how I can identify with Catwoman. But if you look at Batman, it is dark, right? I mean, Superman, when you watch Superman, it takes place in daytime, and he's got the cape, and he's got the all-American colors. In fact, you can go online, and it gives you 11 ways that Superman uh, is a archetype of Jesus Christ. And has all these things, a great website to go to, and, and I might throw that out there for you. But Batman was dark. He fights crime, he fights crime at night. Everything in it, you watch it, it is, it is dark. And you're, you're looking at this, 
You see, Batman, despite having no superhuman powers, is the only superhero who mastered his body, his will, his emotions, and his mind. And as Christians, we have to be able to master who we are. And, and by mastering that, it's not saying I've got enough self-control. It's saying I need, I need more of God in my life. And, and so... When we watch Batman, it's like, man, how can I master this? How can I get control over this? How can I get victory in this? In John chapter 3, we're talking about Nicodemus. And, and I just want you to know, Nicodemus, in verse 1, says, There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher and has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you're doing if God were not with him. Notice that Nicodemus came to Jesus at night. Why do we do things at night? Because nobody will see. Do you remember several years ago when we had power lines south of town got knocked down and the entire city of Ponca City was without power and it was dark and, and it was in August, but we were fortunate it was a cool August, so it was only high of 95 that day. But I remember sitting there in our house that night and we could hear people walking and talking up the alleyway. You know, normally, it wouldn't bother us at all, but it was dark. So if somebody broke in, I couldn't turn on lights. I mean, I'd be swinging the baseball bat in the dark, and anybody could get hurt doing that. But at night, in the dark, evil takes place. Batman, in his purest form, asked this question about the existence of evil. In Genesis, we see the arrival of evil. Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve sinned. And then Genesis chapter 4, Cain kills Abel. In verses 6 and 7, right before he kills his brother, the Lord said to Cain, why are you so angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, you will, not, you, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your, do your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. Sin is crouching at your door. It's a great lesson that we teach our kids, Jack and Lance. Sin is crouching at your door. At any moment, sin can win the day. You, you've got to be willing to, to turn your back, and you have to be willing to say, you know what, I'm not going to give in to sin. I'm not going to allow sin to take me. I am going to defeat sin because it's crouching at your door. In the final show of the Dark Knight trilogy, John Blake whose middle name, by the way, is Robin. I mean, a whole bunch of foreshadowing there, right? Comes to meet with Bruce Wayne that he knows to be Batman. Listen to what he says. Not a lot of people know what it feels like, do they? Be angry in your bones. I mean, they understand. The foster parents, everybody understands for a while. And then they want the angry little kid to do something he knows he can't do. Move on. So after a while, they stop understanding. They send the angry kid to a boy's home. I figured it out too late. You gotta learn to hide the anger. Practice smiling in a mirror. It's like putting on a mask. He's talking right there. Everyone wants you to move on. When you've been angry, when you've been hurt, when, when, when sin happens, when temptation comes up against you, everyone says, just move on. But how do you move on? He said, I found the secret. I, I smile. I, I put on a mask. 
I make everybody see what I want them to see. Or maybe I let everybody see what they want to see. How many times do we just put on a mask? I've discovered if I just put on a mask and I practice smiling. How did Batman get started? It was very simple. Sin came in. It took his parents from him. He, he was orphaned. He was a billionaire, but money can't buy parents, right? Here's what I want you to know in, in the, the question of why is there evil in the world is there can be sunshine without shadows, but there can't be shadows without sunshine. You see, evil exists in the world because there is a God and we want to know, and, and, and this is what, what Batman really unwraps for us, and what, what this trilogy really talks about is why is there the existence of evil? I mean, we've come through a tough season as American, as a world. When you look at the last couple of years and the things that have taken place, and I remember thinking, wow, this is a crazy world which we live in, and it's not the world in which I grew up in. See, I grew up in the 80s and the 90s, and in the 80s and 90s, the world was perfect. I mean, it, it, I mean, compared to right now, I mean, it seems like it was so not crazy. I'm like, wow, you know, nothing was, was crazy there. I mean, we had big hair. We listened to Vanilla Ice, MC Hammer. I used to have MC Hammer pants. My parents wouldn't let me wear them out in public. But this is my revenge. I'm wearing my pajamas this Sunday. <laughs> but, you know, we want to ask this question, what is the meaning of life? How do we get from here to there? A, a consistent atheist will tell you there is no meaning to life, but God says over and over again, he shouts to us over and over again, there is meaning to life. And we say, but I've got pain. I've got hurt. How can that be good? And that's where Batman comes in. How can all of this be good? Frank Turek says, asked this question, is it true they serve no ultimate purpose or good because there is no ultimate purpose for God? Atheists look in the world and they say, well, how can God exist? How can a good God allow bad things to happen? And we're going to jump in and unwrap that in a little bit. But let's talk to Jesus about what Jesus said to Nicodemus. In John chapter 3, most of us know verse 16. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but everlasting life. And he goes on to say, For God did not send him into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because he has not believed the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of the light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives in the truth comes to the light so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. Nicodemus saw salvation primarily as the principles and procedures operating within the human plane. He, he felt that if you just did good things, you could be saved. But Jesus came from heaven to earth to say, you know what? It's not just about doing good things, and it's just about not doing bad things. But you need Jesus in your life. You need God in your life. We, we look at that, and we're like, wow. 
So let's go back to the beginning. And Backman begins of how this all started. And because we had the kids in, this, in the auditorium with us this morning, it, it made me uh, really skeptical of how I did video clips. And so I, I texted out the team and I said, hey, I just want you guys to know, I am not showing any video clips that will give anybody nightmares. So all the clips I'm showing you are, are rated PG or rated G. But there's a great scene of where Bruce Wayne first meets Gordon. Watch this with us. Is that your father's? It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. Hey. Good news. His mom and dad had just been murdered outside of the opera house. Calls the police. He goes in there. And Gordon, at the time, is the beat cop. Puts a coat around him and says, it's going to be okay. All of us in our lives have the opportunity to be a Gordon there where we can go with someone who's hurting and in pain and saying, hey, you're not alone. Now, when the police chief walks in, and I've never understood this. And he says, good news, we caught the man who killed your mom and dad. When you're hurting, is that really good news? I've never understood how that is really good news. Good news would be, hey, we went back and checked your parents' pulse and they're alive. They're going to make a full recovery. And we would like if that happened for us, wouldn't we? But at this moment, his life forever changed. Alfred, the trusted butler, becomes his custodian. His parents had entrusted Alfred with their most valuable gift and had nothing to do with their billions of dollars, had everything to do with Bruce Wayne. Instead, at one moment, Bruce Wayne asked me, he says, why are you still here? You're not getting anything out of this. And he said, let me tell you something. Your dad entrusted me with his most valuable gift, and it was you. God sent Jesus Christ from heaven to earth to save the world. We are his most valuable and precious gift. And Jesus looked at us and he said, you know what, you are valuable, you are worth something, and I've come and I've sent my son, my only son, to come to earth to save you. He didn't look at us and say, man, you're too far gone and, and you've done too many bad things in which when I look at humanity and I see the crazy stuff that's going on in the world today, I'm like, wow, we really are messed up. And there have been times in history where people have stood up and said, hey, the end of the Lord is coming now and I, I believe that Jesus Christ is coming back. I just don't know when. 
But we had solid Christian people who stood up during the Civil War and said, Jesus is coming back because great evil is taking place and so many people are dying and there's no way God could allow this to go on. In World War I, when mustard gas was being released in Europe and people were dying and, and things were taking place, people were saying, Jesus Christ is coming back because the entire world is at war. And in World War II, well-meaning people said, well, Hitler's the Antichrist, so Jesus Christ is coming back. Again, I told you I grew up in the 80s and 90s. And I remember listening to a guy on the radio who said he, he discovered who the Antichrist is, and it was a Mikhail Gorbachev because he had the mark of the beast on his forehead. And so I remember going, wow, Dad, is that real? And my dad goes, no, that's not right. We're turning the channel now. For God so loved the world that he sent his son in the world not to condemn it, but to save the world through him. God sent his son to save the world through him. Not to condemn it, not to cast it aside, not to say shame on you, but to say you will be saved. Epicurus, a Greek philosopher, wrote, I figured out way back, if God is all-powerful, he cannot be all-good. If he's all-good, he cannot be all-powerful. This is man trying to figure out God. He's asking this question. And so I ask you, is this true? I mean, if God is God, if he's all-powerful, if he can do anything he wants to do, why doesn't he eradicate evil? Why doesn't he erase it from our existence? Now we jump forward. Bruce Wayne has graduated from high school. He's been to college. He's going to Princeton. He comes back because Joe Chill, the man who murdered his mom and dad, is being released on bail, and they're having a, a court meeting to see whether or not they should release him. And Bruce Wayne takes a gun with him to the courthouse. I'm not sure how he got it through the metal detectors. They don't explain that. But he's going to take justice, as he terms it, into his own hands. But someone beats him to it and, and, and shoots and kills Joe Chill. And then Rachel Dawes has a conversation with Batman about justice versus revenge. Watch this conversation. DA couldn't understand why Judge Fade had insisted on making the hearing public. Falcone paid him off to get chill out in the open. Maybe I should be thanking them. You don't mean that. What if I do, Rachel? My parents deserve justice. Well, you're not talking about justice. You're talking about revenge. Well, sometimes they're the same. No, they're never the same, Bruce. Justice is about harmony. Revenge is about you making yourself feel better. That is why we have an impartial system. Oh, your system is broken. <laughs> about justice look beyond your own pain Bruce this city is rotting they talk about the depression as if it's history and it's not things are worse than ever down here Falcone floods our streets with crime and drugs preying on the desperate creating new Joe chills every day no, Falcone may not have killed your parents Bruce he's destroying everything that they stood for you want to thank him for that here you go We all know where to find him. But as long as he keeps the bad people rich and the good people scared, no one will touch him. If good people like your parents will stand against injustice, they're gone. What chance does Gotham have when the good people do nothing? That's a great question. What chance does Pocket City have when the good people do nothing? What, what chance does our world have when the good people do nothing, when they're scared and they say, you know what, we won't stand up for what's right, we won't do what is right, and, and they have this discussion, what you want is revenge, you don't want justice. 
Have you ever been there? I have. I've been there where things happened, and I thought, man, I just want to get back at that person. I can't wait to get back at them, and I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. And we have to come to grips with it, that evil exists in our world, and evil is like a cancer. And the way that doctors fight cancer, they take your body to the brink of death to kill the cancer, because the cancer cannot exist without the body, but the body can exist without cancer. And you see, there's this ripple effect. We say, well, God, if you're all-knowing, if you're all-powerful, why don't you just get rid of all the evil from the, from the earth and just zap it out? And in Romans 8, 28, it says that God does good for those that love him. And we're wanting to know, what, where's the good in all of this? Because our problem is that we are so tunnel-focused. Tunnel and God sees this big picture, and he says, if I remove this evil element over here, here's what the ripple effect looks like. You see, God sees the world through eternity and not through isolated incidents. I remember being in junior high, and, and I was sharing this with Kenneth this week, is that my mouth grew faster than my body grew. Anybody else like that? I'm sure you guys did, because you guys were so great people. But because my mouth grew faster than my body grew, I would pop off and say things to people when they would make me mad, and then they would beat me up. And I remember going, this is really terrible. I've got a whole huge story, and I won't, I, won't, I, won't, I won't pull it out for you. But I remember in high school when I finally hit puberty. You know, people talk about how puberty is a bad thing. I loved puberty. Puberty was my best friend. I grew. I got muscles. Still can't grow facial hair. But also, here's what happened. I gained perspective. And even past all of that, past my, 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 my adolescence, growing into adulthood, I gained perspective. And my wife has so much more perspective than me. Because when, when, when people do things wrong, I'm like, hey, we should not nip this in the bud. And she's like, no, 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 we should not fight every single battle. I'm like, but, but babe, fighting battles are what I do. She goes, I, I know. But maybe... Crazy idea. There's a better way. See, Batman had rules for engagement. You see, Batman doesn't use firearms until the very last movie of the trilogy. And Batman never takes a life. In fact, in the second movie of the trilogy, he had a chance to kill the Joker and he didn't. He had a chance to kill Ra's Ghoul in the first one and didn't. So why doesn't God eradicate evil? Because he also has rules of engagement. God is all-powerful because he created the universe out of nothing. God doesn't contradict himself. He can't force us to be holy. We have to by free will. You see, Adam and Eve, he couldn't put in the Garden of Eden and not give them any decisions at all because that wouldn't really be serving God, that would just be a bunch of robots. And God allows a ripple effect of time to bring good from evil situations. You see, we ask God to stop other people from doing evil, but we rarely ask God to stop us. 
See, we, we look at the world, we say, your sin is always worse than my sin. In 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 19, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them, and he committed us to this message of reconciliation. God sent Jesus Christ to earth to reconcile us, to make us right with him. But you know the problem is people love darkness over light. John 3, 19 says, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. C.S. Lewis says, no man knows how bad he is until he's tried very hard to be good. A silly idea is current that good people do not know what temptation means. This is an obvious lie. You see, we understand how important it is to be holy when we realize what it's like to resist temptation. All men are tempted. Let no one tell you that they're not tempted. They tell you they're not tempted. They are lying to you. Everyone has to face temptation, but you do not have to give in to temptation. And I've used this illustration before. Inside you, there are two dogs that are warring. One dog that wants to do what's right and one dog that doesn't. I'm not talking about angel on your shoulder at the cartoon shows, but I'm talking about inside you, there, there, there are two dogs. Whichever dog you feed is the dog that will win. So if you decide to feed holiness in your life, you decide to, to feed good in your life, guess what? Good will win out. But if you give in the temptation, then temptation will devour you, and it will destroy you, and it will annihilate you. God calls us to be holy. God calls us to be set apart. God calls us to, with, to fight against temptation. The light shines in darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. Jesus Christ shines in the darkness, but we, we fail to understand it. In John 8, 12, it says, When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus Christ says, I am the light of the world. When you read through the Gospel of John, which, if that's your goal for this new year, that's a great goal to have, because the Gospel of John is so rich. You know how many times in the Gospel of John in which Jesus Christ says, I am? And it takes you right back to that moment where Moses is talking to God, and Moses says, hey, who should I tell him to sit me? And God said, what? I am. I am, I sent you. And Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Another video from Batman Begins talks about what defines you. Watch this with us. Bruce? Rachel? I had heard you were back. What are you doing? Uh, just swimming. Wow, it is good to see you. You're gone a long time. I know. How are things? Same. Job's getting worse. Can't change the world on your own. What choice do I have? When you're too busy swimming. Rachel, all of... all this... It's not me. It's inside. I am. I am 
Bruce. Deep down, you may still be that same great kid you used to be. But it's not who you are underneath. It's what you do that defines you. See, Bruce Wayne has to put on this persona like he's a spoiled billionaire boy, and he's spending his, his billions however he wants to. But at night, he, he's the Batman, and so his cover has to be Bruce Wayne. So in this proceeding of the scene, these ladies go with him to a, a business dinner, and they decide to take off their clothes and go swimming in the pool. And they're like, hey, you know, this is a, a family restaurant. The pool is only there for decorations, not to be swam in. And Bruce Willis White, or not Bruce Willis, that would be another great movie to watch. Favorite Christmas movie ever. Bruce Rain writes a check and buys a hotel. And then he goes swimming in the pool as well. But it's all a cover because he truly wants to bring good in the world. He truly wants to do what's right. He wants to transform Gotham. And there's other people that want to reset Gotham. They want to come in and they want to allow the entire city to crumble so they can rebuild it. But he doesn't want to crumble it. He doesn't want to destroy it. He just wants to change it. He wants to make an impact. He wants to make it better. And as he's walking out, Rachel Dawes is walking in. And she goes, I know that deep down inside... There's that good kid, but it's what you do that matters. How many times do we mess up? Do we do the wrong thing? Do we say the wrong thing? And we say, but I really am a good person. And I'm not talking about honest mistakes. I'm talking about premeditated mistakes. And we don't want anybody to tell us that we were wrong. Bruce Wayne is using it for a cover. And later on, he goes back and, sa and tells her, he says, after he saves her and a little boy, what I do matters. What you do matters. It defines you. Holy people live in the light. In, in verse 21, it says, but whoever lives in the truth comes to the light so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. Christians can experience this problem. The culture around us is changing. And we look at the culture, and, and we can do one of two things when we embrace a culture that is embracing sin. We can run away and hide, or we can be countercultural and engage it. You see, we must resist being cruel when we engage culture, not come up against it and say, hey, just want you to know you're going to hell. Bye. That's not what God calls us to do. We can be cruel by insulting people and telling them, oh, you know, I, you've got this all wrong, you're bad, you, you shouldn't be doing it like this, or we can stand at the culture and say, you know what, I want to do what is right. As a parent of kids, if my child is doing something that could possibly injure him or worse, kill him, I hope somebody would tell him to stop doing it because that's really what love is. Sometimes as Christians, we don't engage culture because we're afraid that they will persecute us and they'll make fun of us. 
And so we choose not to engage culture. You see, there are certain things as, as Christians, we have to say, hey, this is right, and this is holy, and, and this month we'll be talking about some of the right and holy things that, that God has called us to do. We are a pro-life people. We believe that life begins at conception, and we talk about that. And so this month we get to celebrate the sanctity of life, which means that life began at conception. I was born in 1963, in, De- in December of 1963, so I'm not quite where you think I am yet. But in 1973, the Supreme Court legalized the killing of preborn babies. Now, I was fortunate I had parents that wanted to have me, but how many of my generation could have and should have been born? And now we have Christians who won't stand up for it because they're like, oh, I don't want people to think I'm one of those people. But God calls us not to sit on the sidelines, but go out there and play. I've been around athletics my entire life. I've, I've coached it. I've played it. And the one thing that I know is when I, when I played a sport, I did not want to sit on the sidelines. I wanted to be out there playing. And I remember I was coaching uh, at Jack. I mean, either it was eighth or ninth grade year, and I told a kid to go out there and play. And the kid looked at me and goes, no, I'm fine. I'm like, what are you doing? What are you fine for? We don't go out for the sport to sit on the sidelines. We don't become followers of Jesus Christ to sit on the sidelines. We become followers of Jesus Christ to get involved and to give our life up for him. You see, we are not to walk in darkness. We're not even to pretend like we're walking in darkness, but we are to be transformers. I know you're, you're like, well, hold on, hold on. Transformers is a completely different movie series and we're not going there. But God says, are you transforming your, your world and what you're living in? Here's a life connection for us today. Batman dramatically changed and was consumed by murder of his parents. Is there anything in your life that consumes you, that has changed you? You can say, this is the point in my life that changed me. How are you using that event? And this last summer, I, I went back to my 30th high school class reunion and, 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 and visit with my friends and, and talk with them and, and just had, had a great time with them. But you know what I left thinking? I could have made a bigger impact. I could have done more. I could have... That could have been more Christ than what they needed. How are you using your events, your circumstances, where you live, where you work, to impact Christ? Are you being consumed by darkness, or are you walking in the light? If we are followers of Jesus Christ, we walk in the light, not in the darkness. Way back in prophecy, it prophesied that a great light was coming. It was talking about Jesus Christ. And Jesus says, I am the light of the world. In 1 John, he says, if we walk in the light, we no longer walk in darkness. Are you walking in the light? Would you bow your heads and pray with me? 
Dear God, I just pray right now, and God, I just ask you to challenge us. Maybe not be content with sitting on the sidelines, with being relatively involved, but God, I just pray that we would live our lives out loud for you, that we would walk in the light, and that everybody around us would see that we are living in the light. Lord, I pray that 2023 would be the year of the Lord, and the year in which the Lord's favor fell upon this city, this nation, God, that we would come back to you, and we would seek you with an honest and open heart. I pray, God, that we would see lives changed, families brought together. I pray, God, that we would seek holiness in everything that we do. We pray this in your name. Amen. We are a people, connected people, all in God's love. We are a church, connected church, by His own Yeah.